Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So I just got back from India and I am so jet lagged. So when I need healthy fuel fast, I know exactly where to turn. Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you have to do is add water or your favorite milk to your cup. Just blend or heat. Daily Harvest's new savory harvest bowls are an amazing healthy dinner that's faster than takeout. And their new plant-based ready-to-blend protein smoothies actually have me excited about gym days. Each of their dessert-inspired flavors packs in at least 10 grams of protein with no chalky powders. And Daily Harvest cups are portable, so you can fuel up on the go. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CROOKEDCONVOS to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CROOKEDCONVOS for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. Well, I'm here with Pozoma St. John, other aka Boz, otherwise known as the most stylish woman of Silicon Valley. And Whoa. her hair is amazing all the time, and most <laughs> endearingly, my auntie. And so, I mean, you've like she's amazing. And if anyone <laughs> knows her bio to give her a proper introduction, she is someone who has gone from PepsiCo to Apple mm-hmm. to Uber and now you're at Endeavor right down the street and I'm so excited to have you here for this Yay. conversation. <laughs> Thank this you. Is so fun. I'm very okay. excited. Was this always where you envisioned yourself like growing up? Mm. No, it was not. In fact, I could not have envisioned this five years ago. Wow. Yeah. Growing up, what what did you think you were going to be? Well, my uh, my parents are originally from Ghana in West Africa, and they are very stereotypically (laughs) immigrant Americans. (laughs) They want, you know, like most parents, they want the best for their kids, uh, but the best meant a very limited range in career choices. Mm. You know, you could be one of three things, which by the way, I think a lot of immigrant people have the same story. You know, it's like a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Sometimes people put the engineer as like accountant or some some yeah. other kind of banking you know thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of those, I believe, are born out of you know stability, right? That yeah. you can always do the job if you have higher education, and therefore you will never be lacking for money. That so, was their belief. So where did you? What was your job that you saw yourself <laughs> well, with? <laughs> exactly. Well, the the interesting thing is that I was also one of those kids who. I found math and science easy. Okay. You know, I I found them to be easy. They came easily to me. And so medicine then became the choice. Yeah. So throughout, I mean, even as little as like junior high school, you know, I knew that I would go to medical school and it just became a part of the lingo. You know, when people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a doctor, you know? And then I got more specific as I 
grew older that I wanted to be an obstetrician. And oh, wow. so by the time I got to college, I went in pre-med, okay. knowing that I would you know, graduate with my BA in bio or something and mm -hmm. go to medical school. Uh, and so, yeah, when I got to college, I, you know, took all of my full course load for pre-med. But the magic was that I really fell in love with the arts. You know, oh. I'd always been interested in music and dance and pop culture and like other things. And um, there was this class called Intro to African-American Studies which fascinated me because I was growing up, or I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado for most of my childhood, and I had never been taught anything about African-American history, ever, in any school-sanctioned arena. That says a lot about education <laughs> system. Okay, let's just say that again. Betsy. Um, all right, hello. <laughs> so in any case, when I got to college, I was so fascinated by the fact that there was a whole course on anything African-American, you right. know, for, I didn't even know what the hell it was, you know, we could have been talking about food. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sign me up for that. Mm. Uh, but what happened is that the class was based on a lot of literature, some politics, uh, some history, but mostly literature, you know, Audre Lorde and Toni Morrison and, you know, yes, yes Nikki mm -hmm. Giovanni and, you know, people that I just had never been exposed to before. And I fell in love. I fell in love with all of it. Uh, and found myself in my off times, you know, reading books or listening to music or doing anything. By the way, the like classics, you know, right. not modern music, but classics that um, I just didn't have the access to before, you know, and being able to talk to other young people who were really interested in those topics yeah. academically. And so... Um, I found my, myself doing that all the time. And over the course of the four years, I amassed enough credit that by the time I was a junior, I was like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to just <laughs> add that to my major too. So I yes. added English and African-American studies to my, to my majors. That's so I just graduated high school. And so that's one of the, the one things I'm so excited for for college is yeah. to be immersed with a bunch of people who are my age, my peers who are just interested in expanding what we know. Yes. And all of that. I'm telling you, it was the most miraculous time of my life. And so, I mean, kind of going back to just like growing up and like the expectations of your family and then also yeah. there's often these expectations that society and culture imposes on us, especially as like black women and what were some of those expectations from you outside of pursuing medicine and how did you navigate them yeah um well i think the biggest pressure was the fact that there just weren't a lot of me you know like black women who were excelling in science and math and were the chosen ones yeah. You know, it was like the numbers were so small that the pressure was to not only just excel in that, but that you were carrying the expectation of so many other people, which had nothing to do with my interests. Right. You know, or my well-being, by the way. Definitely. And that to me was probably the, the hardest part about following sort of that path. You know, and then being able to separate what it was that I really wanted to do with what was expected of me. Or to what do. sounded good. Right. We'll be back with Bazoma St. John after this break. This October, add Hassan Minaj to your watch list. In his new weekly series, Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj, 
The Daily Show alum would break down everything from topical news stories to pop culture moments, using straight facts and real talk. Each episode will cut through the noise and dive deep into relevant topics with humor and nuance. Hassan Minaj is a Daily Show alum, writer, and creator of the critically acclaimed stand-up special Homecoming King, Peabody winner, and featured speaker at the 2017 White House Correspondents' Dinner. Patriot Act will make you laugh and make you think. Don't be left out of the conversation. Add him to your watch list. Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj premieres October 28th, only on Netflix. Patriot Act is a fresh take on what's happening in the world, told through a comedic and relatable lens. Add him to your watch list. Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj premieres October 28th, every Sunday, only on Netflix. Moving on, I wanted to ask you about this idea of corporate activism. Like yes. recently, you have come to describe your work as such, and so what is corporate mm-hmm. activism to you? Oh my gosh! Okay, so re- okay, so for real though, like thinking about listening to your spirit. Oh gosh, another place that I I never thought I would be or go or any of that uh, has been in this space, which I only stumbled upon those set of words together recently. Okay. Like in the last few months. Because what I didn't realize when I took the job at Uber, again, listening to my spirit, because believe me, no one's giving me high fives for doing that either. You yeah. know, it was like, again, I was sitting in a very cushy job at Apple, ivory tower, hello, let me look out at the people, <laughs> you know, yes, thank you all you people who are, you know, obeying <laughs> what we're doing. Uh, and when I announced that I was going to leave that job and go to Uber, people were like, oh, you are completely nuts. Like, you've mm-hmm. totally lost your mind. But the amazing thing about that opportunity was that, you know, a brand who is in trouble is more willing to listen to the needs of its hurt people than mm-hmm. any other. You know, the yeah. companies that are successful are like, excuse me, do you not see our success? Like, we're, we, are, we are just fine. Yeah. We don't need your help. Thank what you very much. working. Correct. I mean, they're not listening. Right. So brands who are in trouble are actually the ones who are more willing to listen to any groups who are like, you have wronged us or this isn't right or we need you to change. They will actually do those things. So, by the way, I'm here for those companies. Yes. I'm, I'm here for that kind of experience. And so at Uber, what happened is that there were so many things that I saw outside of the marketing job. You know, for me, like marketing has always been a real treat. You know, like I, I, I'm curious about people. I'm curious about trends. I'm curious about communication. And so that has always been such joy for me. Now, the harder stuff is honestly about corporate culture, you know, Mm -hmm. and all the conversations we have about representation and having a seat at the table and all these wonderful catchphrases we use need to be put into practical application. Well, who's going to do that? You know, it's like you, we talk about representation matters or making the hard choices in the boardroom. Who is going to do it? We cannot yell from outside and expect anything to change inside. We actually have to storm the castle. Yeah. We have to be in there. And so for me, as I went in, people asked me, yeah, they were like, you're nuts. Why would you go? Like that company's terrible. Those people are terrible. I'm like, well, what do you expect us to do? Like, do we expect them to sit there and then all epiphany, like they're going to discover what the things we need and how to do it and what to do? No, of course not. Somebody needs to go in there and tell them. Yeah. And that's somebody's going to be me today. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so at at Uber, I found myself in the position and somewhat of a hard position of like doing my day job and also taking on the responsibility of being a mouthpiece for women and for people of color and for any others. 
you know, that felt that they did not have a voice in that space. And of course, being a senior leader meant that I could really stomp my foot and somebody would pay attention. Yeah. And so I, then I began stomping loudly, which has led to this corporate activism, because now I'm in spaces and rooms where people are asking me for my opinion. They're asking mm -hmm. me how to change culture. They're asking how to make their environments better for everyone, right? Yeah. In order for the brand to also reap the benefits of that. Right. Because we all know that. We know the math. We know that yes. if your you know, executive staff is more diverse, that yes, they'll create better programs, which will lead you to better business. That is proven. No one can argue it. Mm -hmm. However, the practical application of that is more difficult. Right. And so that's what I mean, that when companies are now either in trouble or are looking for solutions so they don't get in trouble, yeah. those are the really smart ones, yes. uh, they are looking <laughs> for corporate activists who are not afraid of the hard work to come in and help them create that. Navigate that space. Yeah. And part of that, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm currently in that space now with a brand that is really difficult in Papa John's. You're going through all my questions. Wow. Well, girl, let's we talk all, about it. It's that yeah. telekinesis. Yes, yes, of course. Well, because it's it's like it's one of those things where, you know, when I first, obviously, like the rest of us, when we all heard what mm. the founder uh, said, it was like, oh, how dare you? You know, really? In right now? Like right now? Like, you going to say it out loud? And now you, you might, about you might say that in your house, <laughs> but like you, you, you said it outside? Like right. you said it where other people could hear you? It, didn't, it wasn't just in your head. It was like came out of your mouth. First of all, you should know better. Next, now we're going to get you, you know? And so after he was fired and um, the new, you know, CEO was put in place and they came to Endeavor, you know, EGM, Endeavor Global Marketing is an in-house agency that works with lots of clients, work with, you know, Visa and Marriott and others on their businesses and asked for help in essentially creating a new narrative for the company. Yeah. Um, and at first I said no, you know, that I was not interested because really? who wants to, you know, this is not a shill. Right. You know, this is not an opportunity to just slap on a, you know, new jingle and yeah. keep it moving. Right. You know? Um, but I had a great meeting with their the new CEO, uh, with the chief of diversity, with their head of marketing, uh, their head of tech. I mean, it was like all of them, all of everybody. The whole I was like, I was like, bring the entire executive staff. <laughs> and in fact, I'm not coming to you. You come to me. You know. And we sat in New York uh, in our offices, and the meeting was supposed to be an hour and a half. It was four hours. Okay. You know, where afterwards I was like, okay, I'm open to this. Like, I think I think we could do something. Um, but in addition to figuring out what the narrative is, because what I learned in that meeting was not just about, you know, what they needed from a corporate standpoint, but also the needs of their people. Yeah. You know, there are 120,000 people that work at Papa John's. That's For those who don't know, a lot of them are black and brown. Yeah. Um, a lot of franchisees who uh, have put their entire life savings and work into it. You know, mm -hmm. there's this black woman who owns several stores in New Orleans who I saw and who was weeping because she has put every dime right. that she has ever made into these stores. And that's the legacy she wants to leave for her children. And now that business is tanking, you yeah. know. And so for me, there were three real pillars that and this is part of the corporate activism that it's like, OK, you want help with your communications? Well, here are my demands. You know, this is this is real activism, right? This Tell is the way it works. Mm -hmm. It's like economic advancement. So how do we create a pipeline for more black and brown people uh, to own franchises right. within the system? 
two, women's empowerment within cor- in corporate culture and executive ranks. Mm-hmm. So of the 20 executive roles, how many of them are women? How do we advance those who have been passed over for promotions and other advancements yes. make it into the boardroom? And third, of course, because this is just near and dear to my heart, <laughs> social justice. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and specifically, criminal justice reform in this particular case uh, because we find that a lot of people who are nonviolent offenders who re-enter... Can't get work. Girl, you better. Oh. Right? And we know that these types of jobs could be entry points. Right. Uh, but they're closed off. And so if we can open that so that people who are coming out of the system are able to find an easier path. And by the way, not just into the work of, you know, dough and the cheese and Mm -hmm. all of that good work, by the way, um, but also make it into management, you know? So it's like, I'm, I'm not certain why that can't happen. Like, why can't we teach new skills and give Mm. people opportunities? You know, because we also know the system and we know the cycle. It's like if I can't make enough money and therefore I have to live in the shelter and therefore perhaps I go looking for something else to supplement my income, Mm -hmm. very easily do I end up back back in the system. So if we can get people in the door, teach a new skill, allow them to advance into management or other kind of responsible Mm -hmm. uh, positions which pay them more money, then we also... So anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox now, but... That's corporate activism activism to me. Could it (laughs) (laughs) should um, cater Papa John's one day this (laughs) month? Okay, so generally, I would think that many large businesses would stay out of politics Mm -hmm. just for business interests. That makes sense, right? And so recently, I feel like I've seen this merge between politics and morality, especially Mm. with this current administration, where we're seeing a lot of more businesses speak up about things that other times would be considered too political for that space. How do you see corporate social responsibility today? And have you seen a shift in it since when you first entered the corporate world? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's also a reflection of our time and what um, our audiences expect of us, right? Or the communities that we serve expect of us. Because, you know, even 20 years ago, you would say, okay, Kellogg's, I don't, I don't know who runs that business. I don't yeah. know what they look like or what they do at night. You know what I mean? Like right. You don't know anything. Nothing. Right? Uh, whereas now we are expecting to understand, like, what are your views on transgendered communities? Yeah. You know, like, and a CEO must answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we want to understand where are your values? Right. You know, what do you agree with? What do you stand for? Uh, because that's going to be a reflection of the decisions you make. And therefore, a reflection of the dollars I'm going to choose to either spend with you or not. Yeah. And that is an expectation that the audience and our consumers expect of us. And so for me, I think it's a really great thing. You know, by the way, why shouldn't we know that stuff? Yeah. You know, these aren't brands are no longer like some concrete, you know, impenetrable forces. Yeah. No, they are brands are made up of people. You know, we, we always forget that. It's the like, people part. yes, the people so part, right. the human part, <laughs> you know, where it's like brands are made up of a bunch of people who are sitting around, around a table making decisions. Yeah. You know, and so who are those people? And they have been packed on people. Correct. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think there is a separation now between morality and sometimes politics. Again, mm-hmm. we want to understand where you stand. 
right? And if I agree with you, then I'll spend my money with you. Right. And there, I don't yes. think I don't think brands should be afraid of that. And by the way, the brands who are afraid of that, they got something to hide. Wow. That's very true. And the brands who aren't afraid of that, I mean, obviously, we've seen like with Nike and the mm-hmm. Kaepernick um, deal that business is great. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're going to lose some, but do you really care about the ones you lose? If you're getting tenfold more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I personally... Well, clearly, I <laughs> am very aggressive in the way that I think about how brands should behave and how corporate should behave and how executives should, should behave. Be. And not everyone is like that. I get it. But I do think that, you know, the more we, the consumer, demand it, the more we will get. And so I don't I don't want us uh, to ever take, you know, our foot off the gas of making sure that corporations are being truthful with us on the decision makers and, you know, reflecting essentially our truths and our beliefs that they they really shouldn't. That is a whole nother word. You guys, this this conversation can practically be broken up into like six separate conversations to like carry people through the week. Um, I wanted to know, like, you kind of sort of started to touch on it, but this idea of like, you and like being a woman in that position and mm-hmm. having a child and being a mother and also being black and being a first generation immigrant mm-hmm. and then seeing how th- does that translate into your work and then is there ever a time where you have to separate your like, personal opinions from your work or mm. is it something that tends to be very intertwined wow yeah that that is a really it's a difficult one to answer because I feel that most of our work decisions and like, you know, especially for my work, that it is not done well without emotion, Mm. you know, without being connected to it in some sort of personal way. Right. And so those filters are always on, you know, there's no way for me to deny those things. And I think that, you know, when we start to create work that we think will please everyone is when we start to lose the real heart and authenticity. Yeah. You know, it's like we, the word authenticity is like thrown around so much, it's a little bit annoying. But it is the truth in that, you know, if you're coming to the table as your full self and you're looking at the work or the strategy or the decisions as your full self, you will make a more impactful decision than if you're like, hmm, I wonder if this person out here, which by the way, you don't live their life. You don't even know what the hell they're thinking or doing that day. Right. You know, how are you going to decide what, what's good for them? Mm-hmm. You know? And so most of the decisions I make, yeah, are, are made out of my own experience. You that's, know, because I feel that, by the way, that's the only way I can really evaluate anything. How can I evaluate something or an experience that I have no idea living? You know, when people mm-hmm. ask me like, oh, well, do you think this will apply to, you know, white guys? And I'm like, mm. I've never been a white man. Oh, wow. I have no idea. What would that be like? But you know what? <laughs> I'm going to tell you that this works for me. <laughs> so let's go with it. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's just, to me, it's like, it's, it's, I know this I'm being very flippant, but it is the truth of how to uh, lead effectively. And this also just sounds more logical. Like, why yeah. would someone want an opinion or you would want to form an opinion on something that you just... By the way, well versed in. how arrogant of you. Yeah. That's the way I feel. You Literally. know, I'm just like, you're so arrogant to think that you can put your, you know, your whole, like, you can make a decision for a whole group of people that you, that you have no idea mm-hmm. what their experience is. Right. You know? I mean, that translates into, like, 
all work I Every mean, even work. like with yes. the social work and like activism and yeah. stuff i've been doing with like women's march and this idea yeah. of like making sure those who are most impacted by whatever it is are at the table and making decisions yes. on that yes but this is why again hashtag representation matters you know yes. because if i don't have the experience i need somebody else who has that experience mm-hmm. to weigh in right you know, because that would be arrogant of me to pretend as if I could know yeah. and therefore make that call. Like, it's so arrogant. I should rather be compassionate enough and empathetic enough to listen right. to the opinion of the one who has a different experience, who's weighing in on the thing and say, hmm, okay, well, since you feel that way, I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay, let's, let's go with that. By the way, that's a much more empowered leadership style than normal i realize but i believe that it's the best way to go and that's why also in our corporate worlds we need to be more vigilant about who's in the room yeah you know so that we do have great diversity and not just for the sake of it and not just for saying oh well i need one of each you know but it's (laughs) like you really need to understand like you really need empathetic people who have lived different experiences that can bring those experiences wholly to the table. Oh, and by the way, encourage them to bring their whole selves because you can't just have a shell of a person. Right. You know, you can't just invite a black woman to, you know, have a job and then expect her to leave her blackness at the door because it makes you uncomfortable. Exactly. You know? Another word. Because, like, for me, I'm like, listen, she's got to show up. She's got to show up. She's got to be comfortable in herself when she's sitting at that table. So she needs to be able to wear her hair in an afro. She needs Mm -hmm. to be able to speak with her hands and nobody get afraid because they think she's angry. Right. You know, speak with passion and that it can be listened to. She can't be quieted in a way that's going to make her feel like she can't speak her mind because it's going to make that person over there feel uncomfortable. You know, yes. so to me, it's it's this idea of not just inclusivity because you need to have, again, like some token at the table, mm-hmm. but like really inviting the wholeness of the person into the conversation so that you can actually get the best work out of that person. That's what's up. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes and accessories to fit your body, budget and lifestyle. Just go to stitchfix.com slash crooked convos and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. You'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your fix whenever you want. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied toward anything you keep from your shipment. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos to get started today. stitchfix.com slash crookedconvos. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Cool, 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 
I was listening to a conversation you had. I forget what platform it was on. Mm -hmm. But you were talking kind of about that journey, particular journey about being comfortable at being at the table and speaking up for yourself mm-hmm. in that space. Do you want to, could you like walk us through that? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, it's somewhat of a long journey, but I, but I learned it quickly, yeah. you know, which was that at the time when I got to Pepsi, it was my first executive job, you know, and I was really, cognizant of the of the fact that everyone I saw who was successful didn't look anything like me right yeah but the terrible thing about that wasn't just that there was no one who looked like me but that I was trying to emulate then what they look like mm-hmm. talk like acted like all of that you know I mean to I, yeah. mimic someone else is a lot of energy it takes a lot it does. You know, it's like try mimicking somebody's voice for half an hour and see how tired you are <laughs> at the end of that. Just try it. You know, I just I want everybody to practice. You know what I mean? Choose yeah. anybody, anybody, somebody you don't know, and then try to mimic them for half an hour. Yeah. And see if you're able to come with any of your own ideas, thoughts, words. No, you cannot because you're so busy trying to be that other person. Yeah. And so for me, I couldn't bring any good ideas i couldn't you know really even connect with my colleagues forget that they were different from me like i, I couldn't even connect because yeah. i was over here busy trying to figure out, be them out. him yeah you know what i mean uh and the funny thing is that what maybe some people would say is superficial which is clothing uh became my armor you know and that literally one day I had my row of like gray suits and my row of white button down shirts. And I don't know how this happened, but I didn't have a clean shirt to wear, <laughs> you know? And I was like, hmm, should I just douse it in perfume? Like, you know, maybe I should just do that, <laughs> you know? But being a black girl wearing black girl makeup, you know, sometimes you get smudges on those work. white shirts. Mm, nah, it wasn't working. I was <laughs> like, I'm just, just going to look dirty. You know what I mean? So let me not do that. Uh, and I had this like floral printed blouse that I really loved, you know? And I had to wear that underneath the suit. Girl, I was walking around like <laughs> I owned the place. You know, it just changed my whole energy. And li- quite literally, it was an awakening moment. Like I was like, ow. So I've been uncomfortable this whole time. Because <laughs> I wasn't you know? myself. No. And by the way, yeah, people looked at me a little weird. But if I was really being honest, they were looking at me weird all the time. Anyways, Anyways even when I was wearing the gray suit with the white shirt, I still got the double look. So you might as well be so, looking at you while you're looking cute. Right. You know? And <laughs> funny enough, I just, it became, again, then it became a part of my armor because then I would just wear in the hell, I wear what in the hell I wanted to wear. And I was a better version <laughs> of, of myself. Yeah. And I, I brought more ideas and I was more comfortable in my skin and therefore I was more connected to my colleagues and I was just I was just a much more comfortable person. Yeah. So that's a lesson yeah. to like I don't know, I feel like that's something that needs to be said more often, especially yeah. with like young people and mm-hmm. young girls in like school and in spaces yeah. where they often aren't represented because it's all always like this pressure of being because you have the luxury of being in this space not Mm -hmm. necessarily always taught of something that you own and something that you um 
deserve, mm-hmm. there's always this extra pressure of like, well, I have the space, so now I need to take care of it, maintain it, and represent right. like everyone else yeah. who's not in this space. And that can come with like a lot of pressure oh, to just... let me tell you something. I have a quick story about that. Okay? Tell it. So at Apple, uh, I, was, I was selected to present at the Apple keynote. I just selected is the wrong word because I fought for it. But anyway, that's another story for another day. <laughs> um, the new Apple Music iOS was going to be unveiled, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a big deal because the first unveiling had been rushed. And so this was like the golden child. This, is, this was the one, right? Yeah. That everyone had worked for two years for. Uh, and of the thousands of engineers and other people that you don't see, right, one person gets to stand on the stage and for four to five minutes talk about certain parts of the product. Well, as you can imagine, uh, it's a lot of pressure, and there are all kinds of, you know, stats about what to wear, how to talk, what to do, how to move your hands, and all of that. Well, oh, goodness. as I told you, I have a hard time mimicking other people. And I did try. I gave it a good try to be like, okay, you know, when you're standing on the stage, keep your hands like at, you know, your waist and don't move too fast. You know, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was like. We had it all down, like the whole. Right? Like, you know, all the other men are wearing jeans and some sort of button down shirt. Don't want to scare anybody by looking different. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, you do know I'm six feet tall, black woman, right? And at the time, my hair was like <laughs> beautiful. Fro. I, was like, I was like, "There's no way! There's no way!" First of all, <laughs> that I look like them. So, what's the point? You know. But the truth of the matter was that the pressure of knowing that if I failed, that the likelihood that there would be another black woman on that stage was slim. was probably slim to none. Correct. Yeah. And so, knowing that, and knowing that, you know, the pressure of not only just showing up and not failing but like succeeding because we all know it's like you yeah. can't just like win you gotta like you gotta slay. do the best like you gotta, it's gotta you be gotta like it's out. gotta be undeniable <laughs> you know what I mean so no one be like oh well you know it's cause she went third and that's why you know it's like no 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 like you gotta destroy everything, everything. in order for it to be like oh yeah I guess yes she yes she yeah, did she a did good I, job she did you know? right. and that's essentially what happened is that yes the the rehearsal day the dress rehearsal day, I showed up in the jeans and the shirt, and I was trying and not doing well. And by the way, I could hear the people, you know, who were down in the front row mm-hmm. whispering, thinking mm-hmm. whether or not this was going to work or not. Um, and I made the difficult decision the morning of that I was going to show up honestly as myself. It was maybe the hardest thing I've ever done. And wow. again, we think super like that is a superficial thing, but it is not. But it's- it really is not. Like, it's a real... Yeah. Yeah. You know what? So, it's girl, listen. I pulled out my Mimi Plange dress. Mimi Plange, a Ghanaian designer, by the way. The joint was tight-fitting. It fit every curve. Okay. You know, I put on my Louboutins that were pink and had the big fluff on the back. Made me walk like a trillion dollars. I put on my big hoop earrings that made me feel like, yes, let me swing and catch the light. <laughs> you know? like, And I got out there and I put on a show. Yeah. You know, and it won and it won a big, huge. And so for me, again, it's like, you know what? I know that in that moment, what that allowed was also the permission for other women like that to show up in the fullness of themselves and that it would be okay. Yeah. 
And the lesson wasn't even just for them. The lesson was actually for the white men who had been trying to counsel me to look differently. Hmm. That I don't need to look like you in order to succeed. I right. really don't. So, by the way, the next time you see <laughs> another one that looks like me, know that it's okay for her to show up as herself too. And that she'll win and you'll be fine. You'll sell more iPhones too, by the way. <laughs> that sound, <laughs> that reminds me of like in the Bible when like David decided to use his own weapon. At the you like, better, oh my God, I think I just caught the spirit. Oh my God. Uh, what? I can't even claim that Yo, for myself. But, no, that's um, so good. That's a but, beautiful connection. Yes. Because there is often times, well, one, there's not a yes. one size fits all for Girl, anyone. You better. And if God, like, if we're all made uniquely ourselves, Listen. we all have like, our own path. Girl, and, what's, like, a, what's a handkerchief? It's stupid. I need to, I need to pat this to girl down. To try to suppress that. Girl, what? Especially when you're trying to, like, yeah. acquire greatness you out of You better preach. But, you know, <laughs> that's another sermon for Hallelujah. another day. Hallelujah, yes. Um, <laughs> this is, like, my favorite conversation. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. Forever. Um, okay, we're going to change the gears a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll like throw in some politics or something you know this is crooked media alright um, I saw you did an event recently with Emily's List a couple months oh, yes. ago yes and yes, so yes. I was just wondering I mean with midterms coming up are there mm. any political races you're keeping your eyes on oh, and man. with midterms in the 2020 election like what are you hoping to yes. see oh my gosh ooh girl well here's the thing is that Part of the reason why I did the Emily's List event, which was essentially moderate a conversation with five women who are all running in highly contested races, was, again, just to help shine a light, you know, on these areas. Mm -hmm. Because even in states and in counties where we think, you know, easy wins or I don't need to get out or I could just sit down, um, sometimes we really need to understand the humanity you know, behind the politics yeah. in order to be motivated to vote or motivated to get out. Right. And for me, it was part of the reason why I did it, because, you know, I looked at these five women and thought, wow, well, you know what? I don't vote in Illinois, but like she has a powerful story yeah. and she could actually make a real difference. Part of this also that we all know that we need to change the makeup of our government. Yes. You know, and regardless of how you feel politically, it is simply a fact very much like we've been talking about in the corporate world, where the more differences there are, the the more we'll be able to serve the communities that, for which right. we're beholden to. You know, it seems so simple to say, but it's it's the truth. It's like we've got to have more diversity and it is a fact of matter. And so to me, it's like this, you know, coming midterm, I want us to all make that point. You know, we're we're talking a lot, which is great. You know, I don't at, at all, you know, shame anyone who's like, oh, but y'all are just, you know, armchair pundits. And I'm like, no, listen, part of the fight is talking about it. Right. You know, part of the fight is, yes, on social media, making a statement. You know, I don't agree when people try to shame folks who are like, oh, well, all you do is talk on social media. And I'm like, yes, and that's good. And honestly, if um, <clears throat> the 53% um, talk to their families at Thanksgiving, had those uncomfortable conversations, you might not have. Who well, we have in office, that's what I'm then, saying. <laughs> so, yes, conversations are important. And to be able to replicate those, whether in uncomfortable places like 
<laughs> your Thanksgiving table, right? Or even in the office, because I know sometimes that's like a no-no, and we're told not to talk politics in it at work. But how can yeah. we not? Um, I think the really important thing, though, in all these conversations, is continue to have empathy. You know, um, because what is not helpful is name calling and dragging and you know shaming and all of that. I think if we had more honest dialogue about our issues and about what yeah. matters to us, we'd actually probably find ourselves, again, to the point I made earlier, that we can find actually the commonalities where they appear to be differences. And there's m- more commonalities than there are differences. I mean, one thing I've, me and my uncle have a lot of conversations about is this idea of everyone kind of wants the basic same thing in the end like mm-hmm. no matter what their political beliefs are no matter what their job is no matter whatever who these people are yeah. they all want to live a decent successful life whatever success looks like for them yeah. and leave a legacy or a place that they're okay with having children yeah. or letting children thrive yeah. in and so like when you see humanity but like underneath the politics and like the reasons why I think mm-hmm. you're able to see those commonalities yeah a lot easier a lo- so much easier and that's just it is that that's <laughs> those basic human needs are what we want you know that's what people are fighting over we get distracted when we name call we get distracted when we start judging people about you know what they do or where they're from or how they look or whatever you yeah. know and we start bagging people into those like stereotypical boxes yeah uh so for me that i mean that's what i'm looking for for the midterm i want people to get up i want them to go out i want them to vote i want them to be involved i want them to Oats. talk yes talk 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 you Oats. know like don't don't be quiet about it and by the way politics is like wine you know people think that you have to have some sort of specialty in order to talk about it you know, it's part of the reason why I was so proud of LeBron when we worked together at Uber and he made his statements about, you know, Trump and his beliefs on our current political situation. And, you know, the journalist said he's just shut up and dribble and right. how dare he have an opinion. And I'm like, um, why does he need to be an expert? Like, why can't he just have an opinion? Why can't he speak based on what he knows? Like, we should all do that. And so, no, you don't need to be a pundit in order to speak right. on it. You know, talk about what you know, talk about what you don't know and ask questions. I think, I mean, that's what makes the most sense. If our politicians are supposed to represent us as a people, then they obviously need to hear from the people. Exactly. And, you know, you don't need to have a degree in political science in order to have an opinion on what's happening politically. Oh, and by the way, politics is just what's happening in our communities, too. Right. So if you are concerned about your health, you're concerned about your children's education, Mm -hmm. you're concerned about potholes you're concerned about i don't know what anything Anything, your public library anything the lights (laughs) all of that your gas anything yeah you know you can have an opinion on that you can speak on it and so again i feel like sometimes politics feels very elitist Mm. yeah you know and so if we're able to encourage more people to speak about the things they're concerned about and the things that uh, are happening to them in their communities we might have more people involved too Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know. I hope... Well, this is crooked. So <laughs> there are politicians listening, and they need to listen to this. Because, I mean, I've been blessed to be able to infiltrate, like, this space of politics in the sense of... Like, a lot of my peers, 
they don't even think about it because there isn't mm-hmm. that representation. I mean, I'm 17 years old hosting a cricket conversation yes. about You're doing it. politics and mm-hmm. corporate activism. And so I think like a big piece of that and a big piece of voting and the reason why we need to vote is because when we vote, our voice is cast, our vote is casted, our voice is being heard, mm-hmm. and then we'll see better representation. Yeah. And once sure. Congress looks like the people it serves, I mean, we wouldn't have half the problems we have. Hello. That part. Say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I love it. And <laughs> at the end of it all, what legacy do you want your corporate activism to leave? Oh, girl, man. I'm just hitting just, you with yeah, these. Yeah, these are. Ooh, okay. <laughs> man, this is this has been tough, girl. Okay. Um, you know, I just I really hope that the places I've been are never the same. You know, after I go. Yeah. That they will they will never be the same. That hopefully it's like, you know, the proverbial like Bose was here will be written somewhere. Oh, I love it. And that was the <laughs> appeal. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that was the appeal. We good. We done. <laughs> That's great. Great. Thanks for listening. Check back next week for another great conversation from the Crooked Network. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.